The Lord be with you. And also with you. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Beloved, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written, emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. On this first Sunday of Advent, the first day in the Christian liturgical year, we pause to remember the words of Charles Wesley, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined truth and love for all to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
let us pray. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, morning and evening, seed time and harvest, ours is a life of endings and of beginnings, of beginnings and endings. In prayer, this Lord's Day, especially through this year in prayer, we come before God to place before God, the God of grace and glory, our beginnings and endings, our endings and beginnings. As the choir sings, may we offer our silent prayers. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believeth in him might not perish, but have eternal life. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. 
Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 25 responsibly with the antiphon.
To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast in love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. Please rise in body or in spirit as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. Glory to you, O Lord. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, This generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly, like a trap. 
for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Jesus meets us today in the pages of St. Luke, as he will for the next 12 months. On this first Sunday of the Christian liturgical year, we turn from Mark to Luke and see the gospel and the gospel's world from a Lucan horizon. Luke was written nearly a generation later than Mark by most estimates. Mark in or near the year 70, Luke in or near the year 90 of the Common Era. Traditionally ascribed to Luke the physician, its author and that of its sequel, The Acts of the Apostles, is finally unknown to us. We know him only through the writing itself. What do we find? Or what shall we find in prayerful conversation with Luke across the next year. Luke is made up of a mixture of ingredients. First, Luke uses most of Mark. An example is our passage today, Luke 21. Like Matthew, Luke knew and repeated most of the earlier gospel of Mark. 
but he made changes along, along the way or construed the gospel according to his own desires and emphases. This is hopeful for us in that it is an encouragement for us to take the gospel in hand and interpret it according to our time, location, understanding, and need. Second, Luke uses a collection of teachings called Q, as does Matthew. An example is our Lord's Prayer later in the service. Luke's version is slightly different from that in Matthew, as is his version of the Beatitudes and other teachings found in the Sermon on the Plain rather than the Sermon on the Mount. Third, Luke makes ample use of material that is all his own, not found in Mark or elsewhere. The long chapters from Luke chapter 8 through Luke 18 or so are all his own. Examples include some of your favorite parables, like the Good Samaritan, and like the Lost Sheep, and like the Prodigal Son, and like the Dishonest Steward. We have Luke to thank for the remembrance of these great stories. Luke brings us a unique mixture of materials and makes his own particular use of them. What does Luke say? This will take us the year and more to unravel. We shall do so one step at a time, one Sunday at a time, one parable, teaching, exhortation, miracle, or as today, one apocalyptic pronouncement at a time. Still, there are some outstanding features of the Lucan horizon which we may simply name as we set forth. First, Luke displays a commitment to and an interest in history and orderly history. Both Luke and Acts are cast in a distinctive historical mode. Second, Luke employs and deploys his own theology or theological perspective, including this emphasis upon history and the divine purpose in history. Third, third, Luke highlights the humanity and compassion of Jesus in a remarkable way. The Christ of St. Luke is the Christ of magnificent compassion, embodied in the humility of a birth among shepherds. The poor, women, the stranger, the injured, those in dire need all stand out in Luke as the recipients and subjects of Jesus' love, mercy, grace, and compassion. Fourth, Luke carries an abiding interest in the church. Ephesians says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers. That catches the spirit of the author of the third gospel and of the acts to follow. Now look again at Luke 21, our reading today. It is a traditional Christian apocalyptic teaching which Luke has faithfully transported into his gospel. It is not its mere presence, but its particular interpretation in Luke that we listen for this morning. Jesus, Paul, the earliest church, and most of the New Testament carry the common expectation that within days or years, but soon, the apocalyptic end of the world will occur. All were mistaken. 
Even Second Peter, who changes the math and makes a day equal to a thousand years, has grudgingly to wrestle with the delay, the postponement of the first Christian's fervent hope, the most precious prize possession and hope of the earliest church, dashed, wrong, gone. Recite 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 several times, and you will get a sense of what this apocalyptic hope entailed. It is early Christian mythology. As with all myth, it carries meaning, including meaning for us. But as a worldview, as a view of history, it is not the gospel. It did not happen. What Jesus predicted and Paul expected and Mark awaited did not happen. The end did not come. And centuries of further sparkles of expectation from the Montanists to the medieval mystics to the Millerites of upstate New York to the Johnstown community of 1978 to the Y2K enthusiasts some 15 years ago did not make it so. This Biblical apocalyptic may be mythologically meaningful, but it is chronologically corroded. Further, the language and imagery of the New Testament are apocalyptic through and through. Apocalyptic is the mother tongue of Christian theology, especially of Christian hope. So our beloved Bible must be interpreted anew to serve the present age. Fortunately, the New Testament itself begins to do so. Some of that reassessment is beginning in our passage this morning. So, be alert at all times, praying. Some of the ethical application and communal reinterpretation of this will come in later verses in Luke. You have no idea if or when the end will come, so in scout fashion, be prepared, be prepared. But most of the courageous imagination in this regard is found later still in the Gospel of John. Luke knows the tradition of apocalyptic teaching from Mark 13 and makes space for it here. But he turns apocalyptic into action. He puts eschatology to work in the service of ethics. Its import, all this fiery symbolism, language, and imagery is in the last verse. Be alert at all times, praying. The life of faith is the life of developing, expanding, creative responsibility of responsibility taken. Action, not apocalypse. Ethics, not eschatology. Here, Luke's own engagement in history will help us. Stacy Schiff wrote eloquently recently about the Salem witch trials, but ended with a warning that is oh so Lucan, a Lucan horizon. We too, she wrote, have been known to prefer plot to truth, to deny the evidence before us in favor of ideas behind us, to do insane things in the name of reason, to take the satisfying step from the righteous to the self-righteous, to drown our private guilts in a public well, to indulge in a little delusion. Of course, 
We are not free to avoid our responsibility to the environment with the excuse that the Lord may return in a generation or two anyway, nor are we not we are not free to avoid our responsibility to seek a common global peace cognizant of the hard-won insights of pacifism and just war theory both on the bet that time is running out for late great planet Earth. Nor are we free to project our anxieties about the dilemmas of the current age, which we face day, week, month this autumn, out onto a far-off apocalyptic falsehood in order to avoid what we, of course, have to do in every other sphere of life and so also in this one. Negotiate, compromise, discuss, trade, and muddle through. Negotiate, compromise, discuss, trade, and muddle through. Here is our freedom. Pray daily for the hope of the world. Think creatively about the hope of the world. Act specifically week by week in communion with this, our common hope. One of my heroes in life and work is Ernest Fremont Tittle. Dr. Christopher Evans of Boston University wrote his own Ph.D. dissertation about Tittle. A close friend of mine, now deceased, was the husband of Tittle's longtime secretary, Robert Motes Miller wrote Tittle's biography, How Shall They Hear Without a Preacher? Tittle preached in Chicago, First Church Evanston, during the Depression and the Second World War. He died in his early 60s at his desk while working on a commentary on the Gospel of Luke. Tittle was arguably the greatest Methodist preacher of his time, a traditional Protestant and an unwavering champion of social justice. Since we are following Luke in worship this year to come, Tittle and his own comments upon the third gospel have been much on my mind. For the record, and as may be interesting to you, I excerpt a passage from his commentary, a typically homiletical paragraph about persistence in prayer. There is a special need for persistence in prayer when the object sought is the redressing of social wrongs. God will see justice done if the human instruments of his justice do not give way to weariness, impatience, or discouragement, but persevere in prayer and labor for the improvement of world conditions. Here we can learn from the scientist Medical research is a prayer for the relief of suffering, the abolition of disease, the conservation of life, a prayer in which the scientist perseveres in the face of whatever odds, whatever darkness and delay. More especially, we can learn from the great religious leaders like Luther, Wesley, Wilberforce, and Shaftesbury, who year upon year prayed and fought for the causes to which they dedicated their lives. The need for persistence in prayer arises not only from the intransigence of the oppressor, but also from the immaturity and imperfection of the would-be reformer. We have a lot to learn and much in ourselves to overcome before we can be used of God as instruments of his justice. Recognizing this, Gandhi spent hours each day in prayer and meditation and maintained a weekly day of silence. 
I find it somehow heartening to hear across the decades the strong voices of Tittle and others who have walked many of the same paths that we now walk today. Today we face serious global challenges to peace and justice. May the very difficulties inherent in these challenges cause us to develop the moral fiber and spiritual resilience of our brother Ernest Fremont Tittle from Evanston and so many others like him. Today our apocalyptic gospel from Luke 21, a fading late first century prediction of the end of time, no longer occupies 20 centuries later the kind of literal centrality for Christian teaching which it did in the year 90 or so. Even then, by Luke's time, apocalyptic was waning. The church, beginning with the church's formative influence on the New Testament, converted apocalyptic eschatology into ethical exhortation. Portents and predictions of wars and rumors of wars became, in the main, as they are today, our gospel, words of caution and preparation and warning. Be alert. Be prepared. And on that basis this morning, we shall render, interpret Luke 21. Plan for the worst, hope for the best, then do your most and leave all the rest. Be alert. Not all tragedy befalls someone else. Not all inexplicable, hurtful, senseless accidents happen to other families. Not all fire burns in the next town down the line. Into each life, a little rain, and more than a little rain, can and often does fall. If every heart has secret sorrows, which every heart does, then every home harbors potential hurt, as every home does. Two weeks ago, a small gathering of undergraduate students and others considered the tragedy in Paris and other similarly awful events which continue even into this past week and weekend. One question was how the events of our time compare to experience and events of years and decades past. How would you have answered? Has it always been like this? Asked one sophomore. It was a faithful question, a good and mature a faithful question to which the various responses from yes to no were given. In this student group, there emerged an ongoing sense of responsibility, a longing to take some responsibility for the shape of the future. We all have some responsibility here. You and I have some responsibility You and I have responsibility in your time and in our way to strive for the things that make for peace. You and I can make a difference. We can do so by taking the initiative to learn something, to learn something, say, about a religion or religious perspective other than our own, as we have so often emphasized in these years from this pulpit. We can do so gazing out from the Lucan horizon by by making our own efforts to help those in need, by keeping healthy balances in life. The Sunday morning teaching of faith is in part 
and effort to help us keep things in balance. There is a point, there is a point to the cultural emphases of this past weekend of Black Friday and Small Business Saturday and Football Sunday and Cyber Monday, but these alone will not allow us to make and keep human life human. For this, gratitude will need to inspire generosity. There is a broad, deep generosity across this land. There is a broad, deep generosity all across this land. There is. Yet it takes the continuous reminder of others' need and our responsibility to bring the latent to life, to make it patent and to make it potent. And so St. Luke and his gospel of the compassionate Christ encourage us so all year long. The gathering of the church encourages us. The prayers and the hymns of the church encourage us. The teaching of the faith of the church encourages us. Said Dietrich Bonhoeffer, religion is only a garment of Christianity. When religion disappears, what remains is Christ himself in all his immediacy. And in that case, Christ is no longer an object of religion, but something quite different. Really, the Lord of the world. So let us look out from the Lucan horizon. Let us prepare ourselves spiritually for the unforeseen future. Let us be alert. Let us meet violence with patient justice. Let us learn to be responsive, not reactive. To seek patient justice. Let us inculcate in others and in ourselves a spiritual discipline against resentment. Let us learn the arts of disciplined endurance. One thinks somehow that the at the low level of our collective psyche, we are pushing toward this. Hence the increase in exercise, jogging, running, cycling, in all forms of physical endurance. At some bone level, our bodies are telling us to be prepared, be alert, be prepared for a long twilight struggle. Let us hold fast to the lasting commitments we have together to freedom, peace, justice, and love. And as Luke remembered his apocalyptic inheritance, let us remember our full religious inheritance in the voices of those who can encourage, admonish, and advise us. That is, Sursum Corda, hear the gospel. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to stand before the Son of Man. As we come now to a time in our service where we offer our prayers together before God, I invite you to remain seated, to stand, or to come and kneel at the communion rail as our choir leads us in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord.
response to each petition is, Come, Lord Jesus. O wisdom, coming forth from the mouth of the Most High, pervading and permeating all creation, you order all things with strength and gentleness. Come now and teach us the way to salvation. Come, Lord Jesus. O Adonai, ruler of the house of Israel, you appeared in the burning bush to Moses and gave him the law on Sinai. Come with outstretched arms to save us. Come, Lord Jesus. O Root of Jesse, rising as a sign for all the peoples, before you earthly rulers will keep silent, and nations give you honor. Come quickly to deliver us. Come, Lord Jesus. O key of David, scepter over the house of Israel, you open and no one can close, you close and no one can open. Come to set free the prisoners who live in darkness and the shadow of death. Come, Lord Jesus. O radiant dawn, splendor of eternal light, sun of justice, come shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death. Come, Lord Jesus. O ruler of the nations, monarch for whom the people long, you are the cornerstone uniting all humanity. Come save us whom you formed out of clay. Come, Lord Jesus. O Emmanuel, our sovereign and lawgiver, desire of the nations and savior of all, come and save us, O Lord, our God. Come, Lord Jesus. God of grace, ever faithful to your promises, the earth rejoices in hope of our Savior's coming and looks forward with longing to his return at the end of time. Prepare our hearts to receive him when he comes, for he is Lord forever and ever. Amen. And now may we pray together the words that our Savior has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
The Lord be with you. Happy New Year. Uh, we welcome you again to the nave of Marsh Chapel on this first Sunday of Advent, which is the beginning of the liturgical year. Um, whether you are sitting here in the pews or listening on the radio or listening later on the podcast, we welcome you to our community and our home. For those of you who are sitting in the pews, uh, we ask that you locate the red pads located uh, along the center aisle and put your name and contact info inside so that we can get to know you better and you can get to know one another better. We direct your attention to this week's announcements. For the third year in a row, Marsh Chapel is offering an electronic online daily devotional series for Advent. Those who sign up will receive a scripture passage and devotion in their email inbox every day throughout the season. It started today, but it's not too late to sign up. To do that, um, please go to our webpage, bu.edu chapel, where there is a link on the main page um, for, that you can click on and sign up. Uh, next Sunday, December 6th, is our annual Blue Christmas service at 3 p.m. Uh, this service is meant to provide a space of solace and hope for those who, for whom the holidays are a challenging time. For more information, uh, please contact Reverend Victoria Gaskell, or you can grab one of these flyers that are out in the narthex. Um, Scott Allen Jarrett has some announcements about music at Marsh Chapel coming up in the next few weeks. Thank you, Jessica. I have three announcements. <laughs> think, if I can keep track. The first uh, announcement is a warm welcome and invitation to attend the Music at Marsh Chapel performance at King's Chapel near Downtown Crossing on Tuesday this week, in two days, at 12.15. It's a noontime recital, part of the regular series, and we'll be performing Bach's Cantata 199, which is a solo cantata for soprano Jacqueline Stucker, who will sing that it's Tuesday at 12.15 at King's Chapel. Free. Hope you'll come and join. The second announcement is that it is Advent, as you well know, and our Lessons in Carol CDs are available to you uh, for purchase from Ray Bouchard in the Narthex after. They're 10 bucks. It's a bargain, and no home should be without it. So please um, get your Lessons in Carol CDs. And then um, finally, uh, I, Justin has listed in the bulletin the dates for Lessons and Carols coming up uh, in uh, two weeks. Uh, but we feature a work by James Kallenbach, who is our composer in residence, uh, and we feature his uh, Advent Magnificat, which we will perform in a few moments as our offertory this morning. Uh, and we feature our soprano soloist, Mary Ruth Lone, and James Kallenbach's Advent Magnificat. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. Also, the Lessons and Carol CDs make a great Christmas gift if you're looking for something to give. Uh, for more information about events at Marsh Chapel and the opportunity for online giving, please visit our website, bu.edu chapel. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, let us meditate on James Kallenbach's Magnificat, the Advent.
Eternal God, in your providence, you made all ages a preparation for the kingdom of your beloved child. Receive these gifts for the work of preparation and make our hearts and make ready our hearts for the brightness of your glory and the fullness of your blessing in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thou in whose light we see light, grant us thy peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit, be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen.